Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 13th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Yesterday, as you know, the British Prime Minister asked MPs to endorse her Brexit deal. The response was an emphatic no. 391 MPs voted against Mrs May, 149 more than the 242 MPs who voted in favour of the deal. The humiliation comes on top of humiliation. It means that the UK's exit route from Europe is no more certain today than it was yesterday. The Prime Minister promised that a second vote would be held today. If a majority of MPs vote to leave without a deal, well, that's what they'll do on the 29th. If a majority of the MPs say the UK can not leave without a deal, then they will vote on seeking an extension tomorrow. OK, so all of that's clear so far. But is Brexit ever clear? No, of course it's not. Theresa May also promised to publish how tariffs would be introduced in the event of uh, no deal. And this is where everybody seems to be shaking their head this morning because uh, the UK government has announced a number of temporary tariffs. Let's talk about it with Sinn Féin's Brexit spokesperson, David Cullinan. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. Are you able to understand what is being proposed here? Because there will be tariffs on goods traded with the UK going into Britain, but trade between the Republic of Ireland and the North of Ireland will be tariff-free. Well, listen, I think it's um, it's, it's crazy uh, stuff in terms of the proposals. First of all, the notion that there would be tariffs will have a big impact on farmers and exporters and businesses in the south who export to Britain. So they'd be most exposed in that type of hard crash, no deal scenario. But we're back to the fantasy politics of the hard Brexiteers and the Irish government, or sorry, the British government, who seem to think that they can ignore the rules of the single market and customs union. There is no way that the European Union would allow the North to become a backdoor like that and expose the rules of the single market. And we don't believe that's in any way a viable runner. And what's ironic about all of this is that the British government have a solution on the table for the entire island of Ireland, which is the backstop. And the backstop is designed to protect the all-island economy and to ensure that we have free trade uh, north, south and east and west. Mm. So the north and exporters can trade freely. So you would align the rules, Europe. yes. 
Well, not um, yes, but also that the North would be able to, uh, um, in the event of of no trade deal being agreed, the North would would be able to trade freely with mm. uh, with Europe, uh, with the South, and with. Uh, and with Britain. Okay, that, 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 that's, is, that's an extension of, of the first question, though, which is goods going into Northern Ireland from the Republic. Uh, we can deal with them coming out of Northern Ireland, regardless of whether they come into the Republic or elsewhere in Europe. Uh, but in terms of them going into Northern Ireland, why would that be a breach of the rules of the single market? Surely the UK can decide you can come in here with whatever you want, regardless, uh, unless uh, there's an obligation uh, under World Trade Organization rules. Well, no, I don't believe that the the European Union would allow some sort of special circumstances to apply to the North that wouldn't apply to any other part of the European Union. How can they stop it? Sorry, I'm sorry, I just don't understand. How, how, how can the European Union have a, a say in what the United Kingdom term uh, decides to do in terms of, of course the, the border United on this Kingdom island? Can, uh, yeah, the United Kingdom can decide if they want to uh, uh, introduce tariffs or not introduce tariffs. Mm-hmm. But obviously the European Union can respond by also introducing tariffs on goods going to Britain. Uh, so we don't know exactly how the European Union will respond. What mm-hmm. we do know, and it goes back to the fundamentals of how borders work, how the single market works, how the customs union works. If it is the case, and we're talking here now about a hard crash, Mm. we're talking about the North out of the customs union and single market. There is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that Europe will seek to protect that border and protect the single market in the customs union. I think that what's been proposed is more fantasy politics. Mm. I don't think it will fly. I don't think the European Union could allow it. Uh, And I don't think it's the solution for the island of Ireland. My point is the madness of all of this is that while on the face of it, uh, some in Britain will argue that this is good for the North and good for Ireland in, in the event of a hard crash, there mm. is a solution for Ireland on the table and it's the backstop. And okay. that's the only viable solution that protects uh, businesses and farmers both North and South because you have to bear in mind as well, Michael, this isn't just about the North. Mm. Of course the North's important. It's about the all-island economy and the impact it will have on the all-island economy. Well, and I don't believe that... Uh, the European Union is going to allow a circumstance to develop where the North is out of the jurisdiction of the European Union, out of the customs union and single market, and they can just ignore the rules of the uh, customs union and of the uh, single market. I just don't see that as a viable runner. Well, there's no doubt if the United Kingdom crashes out uh, without a a deal that the border would have to be policed on the southern side of the border. Am I right in in thinking that there would be an obligation on the Republic to police food safety, animal health, to make sure that uh, tariffs and duties are introduced and uh, that whatever is being traded would meet EU safety standards and so on? Uh, but it's up to the UK to decide if it wants to have a reciprocal arrangement or if it gives a free flow of goods, tariff-free, as they're suggesting this morning. And that's exactly right. So obviously the uh, British government could decide to ignore the rules of the single market. Of course, they can't. They're out of the single market. And that's precisely my point, that the European Union would have to respond in kind to, as they would see it, protect its border and to protect the uh, rules of the customs union and single market. And I think we're into a lot of hypothetical situations there where we simply don't know how any of the actors are going to respond. It will be a very messy situation. There will obviously be a lot of discussion, high-level discussion Mm. within the Irish government, the European Union and the British government. 
Uh, but I think the point here today is that we, we're back almost to square one. We're three years from the uh, Brexit vote. During that referendum campaign, scant regard was given to the issues in relation to Ireland. There was very little attention, if any, given to the impact that Brexit would have on the border at that time. We've had two years of negotiations. Those two years of negotiations mm. have looked at all of these models, so-called technological solutions, all of the different uh, models that could be looked at to avoid a hard border. And the only one that was seen as viable and was seen as possible after two years of negotiations was the backstop. And the backstop does two very simple things. Avoids a hard border by protecting the all-island economy, mm. by essentially keeping the North in the customs union and single market legally. And they trying to reinvent the door. Not through a pretend or not through a back door, but legally keeping the North and the customs union and single market. That's the only way this will work. You can't pretend in, the, in, in, in terms of trade. It's legal. It has a legal mm. architecture. But and are they trying to reinvent the wheel? Are they trying to reinvent the backstop or say, we don't need the backstop. We don't need a border on the island of Ireland. We need an arrangement where we trade tariff-free for the next 12 months because they're proposing this tariff-free situation for a period up of up to 12 months whilst negotiations take place. And that's precisely what's happening and that was the position of the British government three years ago when they were playing a game of chicken with the European Union and saying, well, we're not going to enforce the border, we're not going to uh, enforce the rules of the single market, we'll ignore them in the full knowledge that the European Union would not be in a position to do that legally or in any other way. And the harsh reality of what's going to happen in a hard crash is beginning to dawn on many commentators and people in Britain. World Trade Organization rules apply and the notion that uh, we can ignore then all of those rules for the North, we can ignore the rules of the customs union and single market and come up with some sort of bespoke fantasy solution that's n- not in existence anywhere in the world yeah. where you can simply ignore all of the trade rules, legal as they are, I think is, is back to the fantasy politics and the bizarre position of some in, in Britain. So what we needed were legal guarantees, a legal framework, a legal solution to the issues in Ireland. The backstop is exactly that. Uh, and in the in, in the absence of the backstop, we're into uh, uh, really bizarre territory. And I think uh, a critical time then for Ireland in terms of what happens. Uh, obviously, obviously, if it did happen and there was a hard crash and there would be a need to either protect the border or enforce the rules of the customs union. There would have to be discussions with the European Union and the Irish government and the British government. Do you believe some solution mm-hmm. some solution would have to be found, but it would be very unpleasant and I think it would be very difficult for farmers and for people who use uh, the border. Do you believe that uh, the DUP's confidence and supply agreement with uh, the Tories effectively ended yesterday? Well, I think it's been a disaster for, for Ireland, that's for sure. I'm not sure if their confidence and supply has ended. Uh, I think that we're in very uncharted well, waters. To, vo- to vote against policy. the Prime Minister on such uh, a crucial issue, uh, it certainly would call it into question, would it not? It, it certainly does, and, and, and I, I think that's a matter for the DUP and for the uh, Tory party. It, mm. It's quite clear that the Tory party is in disarray. There's absolutely no doubt that... Th- uh, Theresa May is very wounded mm. uh, politically. There's no doubt about that. She has been walloped twice in um, uh, in massive thumping defeats on the most important issue facing not just Britain but Ireland and the European Union. And the, the takeaway I think from a lo- for a lot of people in the north mm. uh, is that the DUP are still supporting 
uh, trying to tweak or trying to amend or trying to uh, stop the, the backstop which actually gives okay. the North the best of all worlds. All right, and, and, and I have to say, farmers and businesses yeah. in the North are very perplexed oh, and, uh, at the uh, approach of the deal. I, I think so, uh, and you're leading me nicely into uh, what I had uh, planned to ask you next, which is uh, if uh, the DUP has effectively ended its confidence and supply agreement with the Tories and that is the trigger or part of the reason for the next general election to be held. Do you believe uh, that this will bolster support for the UUP? I don't know, uh, to be honest. I mean, obviously, if there's an election in the North, my priority will be to uh, to, to get as many votes as possible for Sinn Féin. Uh, and what I would want to see are, again, uh, more anti-Brexit votes. And I think that's what will, what will happen. Okay. I, I don't think there is an appetite in the North to elect politicians mm. to any serious degree that are not acting in the interests of the entire island of Ireland. Okay. I think it will come down to that. I think people in the north okay. are very concerned. Uh, you're, you're, uh, you're, 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 you're feeding me very nicely here. <laughs> it's usually the other way around, but you are feeding me nicely here today in where uh, well, my, my, best, my line of thought is going because if you're correct in what you're saying about the attitude towards the DUP's stance on Brexit, and that would be supported by that Irish Times poll last week, uh, it's quite possible that this will see the return of support for the UUP. And in the event of a general election, whilst you may want support for Sinn Féin, uh, isn't it equally possible that people in Northern Ireland, that nationalists in Northern Ireland will say to themselves, if we want to really influence the outcome of all of this, if we really want to have a say on Brexit, we need people in Westminster and we'll vote for the SDLP. Well, I think if anybody spent even a single day in the North and engaged with nationalists, uh, they wouldn't even put that forward as a remote possibility. The vast majority of nationalists, uh, and we engage with them and have engaged with civic nationalism very extensively over the course of the last number of years, don't see Westminster as any solution to Irish problems. In no, fact, if you look at the MPs in the past, if, if you look at what uh, and 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 the past is is the, the the most important word there that they lost all of their seats in the last general election. Westminster politics has become crazy town. And there is no way that the nationalist people want their representatives to go to crazy town and be part of the chaos that we've seen. If you look at the Scottish National Party, they have over 30 MPs mm. and yet they're being ignored. All of their demands are being ignored. So okay. a small number of... If you're in Northern MPs Ireland, though, and you have two candidates in front difference. of you, if you have two candidates in front of you, both of them want a united Ireland, both of them want uh, to improve the lives of the nationalist community, and one says, we'll go and block any idea of Brexit to the best of our ability or a hard Brexit, uh, and the other says, uh, well, we'll sit at home and huff and puff. Who would you vote for? Well, I think that if you, you are a candidate going on the doorsteps in the north of Ireland and you're trying to pretend to voters in the north that vote for me and a small number of Irish MPs going to Westminster is going to stop Brexit, I think you would be laughed off the doorsteps. The reality is that the British government yesterday lost the vote by over 150 mm. votes. So nationalist people are well ahead, well ahead of political commentators yeah. and media commentators ah, no. about, uh, and, and that's the, the reality. But the Tories, have been, the Tories ha- have been in office because of the support of 10 Ulster there, MPs. And, and look how that has ended up for Ireland. 
uh, and the absolute disaster that all of that has brought for the people of Ireland. We're two weeks out mm. from Brexit Day and we have all of this crisis and all of this uncertainty. And that's we have what, we, we have the prospect of a, a no-deal Brexit and we have the prospect of a general election. Uh, and uh, just to uh, condense the question... Uh, I, I'm asking you, do you believe that that could lead to a revival in the fortunes of the UUP and the SDLP? No, and I'm very, very comfortable with the notion that Sinn Féin will contest the next uh, general election in the North on an abstentionist policy that we will hold all our seats and in fact increase our vote. Because I attended the Civic Nationalist event in the North. 1,700 people attended the meeting in the waterfront. I attended many more in Derry, in Belfast, in Armagh, where people from the business community, farmers, uh, people from trade union backgrounds, ordinary people from right across civic nationalism were very, very clear. Westminster politics is not where Irish nationalists need to be. We need to bring uh, power back to the island of Ireland. That's where it's at. They don't see Westminster politics as delivering for Ireland. And, you know, if you you just even looked at what happened over the last number of years, months and years, a referendum on Brexit where Ireland was an afterthought. Mm. People like Boris Johnson and Michael Gove and, and uh, Rees Mogg and all of these characters have absolutely no interest in the affairs of Ireland, north or south. Uh, we do, uh, and we're not going to be part of what I described as crazy town and the absolute uh, nonsense that's going on in Westminster at the moment. And a small number of Irish MPs will not resolve the very real tensions and divisions which exist in the Tory party on Europe or even in the British Labour Party. So let's end that notion and and I will have uh, every face in the northern electors when it comes to any general election. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Sinn Féin TD. David Cullinan is his party's Brexit spokesperson. Michael Reed on LMFM. Women will spend more than €130 a year on sanitary products as a result. uh, There's a lot of people, young people in particular, who can't afford sanitary products. And uh, this leads uh, to a conversation on what is called period poverty because of a survey by Plan International Ireland, which found that nearly half of Irish teenage girls find it hard to afford sanitary products and occasions use a less suitable product. As a result of this, a private member's motion will be brought before the doll. It's to be given some time today. It's a cross-party motion from female politicians and it would allow for free sanitary products to be made available to women and girls in direct provision centres, homeless hubs and schools. Let's talk about this with Ambrose, Ambrose Duffy, who's Head of Public Engagement with Plan International Ireland. Good morning to you and thanks indeed for joining us. Uh, It's uh, a necessity really so it is a very difficult thing I suppose for most of us uh, to comprehend uh, that some people can't uh, afford what is necessary. Yeah, very much so. That was probably the most startling uh, result of the findings from from our perspective. So Plan International Ireland is an international development organisation so we work with a lot of the poorest people working on child rights and gender equality and in a lot of the countries in which we work, um, uh, managing menstruation is a real problem for, for people. So we worked with a group of volunteers who work with us here in Plan International, and they did a survey to see if uh, period poverty was also an issue in Ireland. And we were absolutely astonished with some of the, the findings. As you say, people said to us that um, uh, one and two struggle to afford sanitary products 
and more than half did not find uh, their schools useful in providing information and six in ten were embarrassed to talk with periods to a, a, with a family member or, or a teacher. So a lot of young girls and women are struggling with access mm. to information and with access to, to, to products. And if young girls or, or women are struggling to afford these products, I take it there is concern about health implications. There is, because we found that when people struggle to afford good quality products, they were using um, really unacceptably bad products, be they tissues or rags or, or, or various different items. So although um, sanitary products are VAT exempt in the Republic of Ireland, um, a lot of the newer products are not. But even those which are VAT exempt, a lot of people still struggle to, to, to afford them. So that's why the motion, which is led by the Women's Caucus in the in Dolairn, that's calling for a range of free, safe and suitable sanitary products to be made available um, free of charge through through public buildings. Or, or, or using products for too long. Uh, some of uh, these young women said that they didn't find classes at, at school to be helpful. Uh, is there a need for an education programme? Yes, and that's part of the, the motion as well, to try to destigmatize uh, period poverty so that it would, it would be seen as just a, a normal issue that, that people need to manage. There was an issue a couple of weeks ago, you may remember, where there was a, a movie on uh, periods which was um, nominated for an Oscar and one of the, the people on the voting panel for the Oscars said he wouldn't vote for it because periods were ick. And it's really that kind of immaturity that we need to, to get beyond so that people can talk comfortably and safely ab- about their period so they get the information they need as well as the, the products that, that they need to, to manage menstruation safely. The Women's Caucus, uh, this cross-party group of female politicians uh, will be glad, I, I think, uh, to hear two men talking about this on uh, the radio today because I saw Catherine Martin of uh, the Green Party at the weekend saying that they wanted men to talk about this as much as women uh, and invited male politicians into the doll today to participate in the debate when it is being discussed. But 80% of young women don't feel comfortable talking about periods. Yes, and one of the disappointing uh, aspects of the survey was a lot of uh, uh, girls were particularly uncomfortable talking to a male relative, be that a father or a brother or, or, or an uncle. So when people are having this experience, they, they need information, they need somebody from whom they can get reassurance, and too often that, that reassurance is just is not available to them. But you raise a good point about the importance of men talking about period poverty as well <clears throat> because at the um the briefing yesterday in the in in the, the Leinster house um of there was a really good turnout for the the briefing on mm-hmm. the motion but only two of the male TDs turned up okay. so although this is led by the women's caucus and it's a, it's a brilliant mm-hmm. issue for them to lead on for their for their first motion they're bringing to to uh, Dáil Éireann it's not just a women's issue and men must also be involved in this issue as, as well. This is an issue of, of quality and, um, and human rights to have access to the health care that, that, that people need. So it's an issue for, for men as well as for, 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 for women to deal with this issue properly. Is there any impediment to introducing this motion here under EU rules? Uh, because uh, we have uh, some of uh, the cheapest sanitary products in Europe because we're one of the few countries that has a, a zero rate of VAT applied? 
That's correct. But that VAT, that uh, zero VAT rate applies to some sanitary products, but for a lot of newer, healthier and more environmentally friendly sanitary products, they are subject to VAT in Ireland. So part of the, the motion calls on the Irish government to work with the European Union to remove VAT on all sanitary products, both older and uh, newer types. Um, there was a lady at the briefing yesterday from Homeless Period Ireland, which is a fantastic organisation which works with, with homeless people in, in, in Ireland and helps them to, to manage their, their period. And she said how um, just one of the sanitary packs is equal to putting four plastic bags in the ocean. So there is a, an environmental issue with the, the current sanitary products which are available um, and we shouldn't be applying higher rates of VAT to more sustainable and environmentally friendly sanitary products. Okay. So that's something the Irish government can act on in partnership with, with European Union partners. Okay, well, the female TDs, uh, the female caucus, uh, will bring this motion uh, to Leinster House today. We'll hear more anon, but thank you indeed for joining us. Ambrose Duffy, Head of Public Engagement with Plan International Ireland. Wednesday morning, the local newspapers are in the shops. Let's find out what's on the front pages. Maggie McGuire is here this week with uh, what uh, your local newspaper is saying. We're going to start in Drogheda with uh, the Drogheda Independent. Yeah, this week's um, front page story gives details of a, a terrifying ordeal for a local mother and her teenage son um, when they arrive back to their home in Ratmullen only to find three men wa- uh, lying in wait for them in what's been described as an attempted kidnapping or hostage situation. Um, it's believed that the, this incident is, par- is part of an ongoing gangland feud in the town. The woman and her son luckily managed to escape from their home and, and weren't harmed in any way but the guard investigation is continuing but as you can imagine there's been a lot of shock and uh, reaction locally to it and people describing it as a very worrying trend and in fact we're going to be talking it about it later on the programme of Councillor Peel Smith as well in the show very shortly. In the next few minutes uh, we go to the leader we stay in Drogheda the Drogheda leader uh, and it's uh, the St. Patrick's Day Parade that makes for the lead there It is but for a somewhat un- unusual read, um, reason basically this year obviously the readers are being promised that the parade is taking place this Saturday or this Sunday and it's, all, it's set to dazzle and there's going to be lots of entertainment but there's been a somewhat uh, a surprising announcement that Irish dancing has been banned this year from the parade due to health and safety regulations regarding advising the committee that um, gymnasts and dancers should perform as they're, they're moving along the braid because basically it slows things down, it causes huge gaps in, in the flow of the braid and it just basically will result in a smoother flowing parade. So obviously while there might be some disappointment, it's been done for the right reason as such, but the committee are promising people, don't be alarmed, there'll still be plenty to entertain anyone who shows up on the day. Okay, the story of Dundalk native Lisa Smith gives the Argus its front page lead in Dundalk. Yeah, well as you would imagine there's a lot of um, coverage of this story in, bo- in all the papers locally and in Dundalk you know, it's talking about Lisa, her detention in North Syria along with her, her toddler son and the comments from the Taoiseach saying that both she and her son will be allowed to return to Ireland as it's the right thing to do. There's a lot of a lot more reaction and comment on that story inside the paper as well. There's also um, coverage of another story that we spoke to uh, Councillor Rory O'Murrico about on the programme last week in relation to the intimidation um, of uh, local families in the area by drug dealers who are putting families under pressure to pay up debts for their loved ones. The Argus is focusing on the work of the Family Addiction Support Network um, who work directly with families in this situation and who are facing intimidation or threats. And their spokesperson, uh, Jackie 
McKenna told the paper she talked in detail about um, the importance of creating public awareness about the impact of this intimidation and how it can in, you know, impact on a, a local community and she talked about the need to create an environment that kind of offers compassion and support to these families rather than judgement and exclusion so um, it was a very interesting article for that. Why is it Maggie that uh, John F. Kennedy is uh, the subject of the lead story in the Meath Chronicle? Well um, basically what is happening in Meath in May is that a, a, a display of uh, previously unseen documents, papers, medals etc etc, memorabilia basically is going on display and it all is coming from the collection of the late Dot Tuberty. She was a, a lifelong friend of the Kennedy family and she was actually the first person staying with her St. Patrick's Day theme. She was the first person who came up with the idea of making a presentation of a crystal bowl to the US President when the mm. Irish President or Taoiseach visits um, the US yeah. for St. Patrick's Pretty weekend. Okay. I didn't realise yeah. that actually. Mm. And um, her nephew Eric Lawler was, was talking to the paper about a collection. He said that basically she was someone who kept everything from matchboxes and photographs, every little bit of mm. kind of memorabilia that she could get her hands on. So it basically promises that there's going to be lots of little hidden gems in the whole collection. So okay. it would be mm. a must see, I would imagine, for the history very, junkies very out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's a, a very different type of a story inside uh, the Chronicle that you wanted to highlight uh, about violent young people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of coverage in the paper about the fact that local Gardaí managed to prevent, well, prevent or break up basically a planned fight among groups of teenagers from Dublin and Ashburn. Um, it said that the fight was broken up before it escalated out of control, but unfortunately it wasn't broken up before a 14-year-old boy was set upon, set upon by a gang of youths and was actually knocked unconscious. Um, he uh, was in and around the area of the McDonald's, I think, but basically the the Gardaí were aware of the fact that the fight had been planned, that people had travelled down from Dublin, gangs of teens had travelled down from Dublin on Friday evening and they were there in the area to break it up. Now it, it's basically said that this poor chap was in the wrong place at the wrong time and was, was set upon by a gang of youths but while he was injured he has been discharged from hospital and hopefully won't be making a full recovery but okay. it's a, yeah, yeah. a bit of a worrying trend now, I have Let's to say. hope that is uh, the case as you say Lisa Smith uh, is making the news in Dundalk front page of uh, the Democrat uh, but there's a lot of f- focus in uh, the Democrat this week on domestic abuse. Yeah absolutely it was an issue that kind of seemed to be very much at the forefront at the Joint Policing Committee and there was shock in um, expressed by a, lot, a couple of different councils, all of them really, to be honest with you, about the fact that there has been an increase in the number of domestic um, abuse cases or arrests made in the Dundalk area in recent months. The figures were saying that there was 109 arrests made for domestic violence in the Dundalk area for the first three months of this year, which is up by 24 on the previous year, which obviously is a very worrying trend. And councillors Mark Deary and Maria Doyle were expressing their concerns and looking for the issue to be tackled in more detail. There was also another report as well in the paper where Gardaí were warning locals to report what they're describing as aggressive begging incidents. Mm. Um, this is kind of coming off the back of an eyewitness account that was given to the paper and um, to Gardaí about uh, some women being intimidated by men begging for money in the Avenue Road area. Mm-hmm. Um, what the eyewitness said was that basically these men were approaching women. They seemed to have been maybe under the influence a little bit, had a few drinks or whatever, and were being quite aggressive and hassling and kind of following the women looking for money. And obviously the women were frightened and mm. a, a bit stressed out about it all. So um, apparently it's not the only incident in the town. So the guard are saying, well, they haven't had any official complaints made. They would ask anyone who witnesses anything like this to, to report it immediately because they want to stamp out on it. Okay, Maggie, what's on the front page of the Dundalk Leader?
Well, Michael, you might be whispering, but I don't think you're the leprechaun whisperer I'm talking about now. Basically, I'm going to finish with this story because I think it's my favourite story from the papers this week. Um, (laughs) It's about Ireland's most famous leprechaun whisperer. His name's Kevin Woods and he's from Carlingford, as I'm sure everybody knows. But apparently he has become a huge hit in a kindergarten in Auckland, New Zealand. Now, listeners to the station here will know Kevin because he's he's famous in these areas and basically around the country for his his love of leprechauns and the fact that he can see see them and is in contact with all the 236 little people who live in and around the Cooley mm. Mountains. And um, Basically, he spent the last 20 years of his life introducing tourists who come to the area I mean, to the leprechauns, telling them stories about the little people and all things leprechaun related. And apparently, um, on one of these visits, uh, there was a little girl who was on his tour and she was fascinated by all of his stories and all of his tales. And when she was leaving the tour, she was gifted a leprechaun by Kevin for her own keeping basically and fast forward to a few months and this girl is now living in Auckland she going to a kindergarten in Auckland and she is regaling everybody with stories of Kevin and her own little leprechaun and everything leprechaun related so basically anyone who has uh, can get their hands on a copy of the Dundalk Leader they will see a very lovely email from the kindergarten teacher Sarah Mm. Goddard where she emailed um, Kevin basically saying that you know everybody in the school is obsessed about the leprechauns and want to know more and we were wondering if you could possibly send us a leprechaun for ourselves now she's very diplomatic and obviously says we can't do that because the leprechauns have to stay in Ireland for their own safety but she basically asked them to send them a bit of info so that they can keep the interest for the kids alive which was really cute to be honest yeah very good all right Thanks, Maggie. People might want to comment on those stories. 1850-715-958, her telephone number. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, let's uh, talk a, a little bit about uh, that uh, story that makes for the front page of uh, the Draught Independent. Uh, as Maggie mentioned uh, a moment ago, uh, P.O. Smith is with us, a local Labour Party councillor. And this is a, a story that has shocked a lot of people. There was an attempted kidnapping or hostage situation that took place in the town more than a week ago. Yeah, it has shocked people. Uh, the, the very brutal nature and the intention of to, to take somebody away from uh, the home and hold them for some reason mm. uh, is a shocking event in itself. And it must have been a horrible experience for that individual and, and the, the teenage son to come home and see people in mm. the house armed with machetes. And they were lucky to get away. Mm. Uh, but it is a shocking event. And you know, it is part and parcel of what's going on in the town. That's the reality of it, I believe. And uh, uh, it requires a, a positive response from everybody, the community and uh, the guards and politicians as well. OK, the guards don't uh, appear to be looking for any information on this. Uh, it happened over a week ago. Uh, we read about it in uh, the Drawed Independent yesterday. We made contact with the guards because they come in here every Tuesday and said, would you like to make a, an appeal about this? Because uh, three fellas turned up at a house with a machete at half ten in the morning a, a week ago. Would you not like to make an appeal about that? Mm. Uh, and they said, well, no, not on the crime desk. Uh, maybe you'd like to contact the superintendent. Uh, we couldn't make contact with the superintendent. Uh, perhaps this isn't important to the guards. Mm-hmm. But well, certainly from uh, my understanding is it, it is important to the guards. Why they didn't come in yesterday and talk uh, to you guys, I don't know. But mm. certainly they are following up uh, on with on Well, this happened this. in the Rathmull and Ballsgrove yeah. area of Drogheda. Now, I imagine yeah. there's a lot of people listening to us in the Rathmull and Ballsgrove area of Drogheda or who were in the Rathmull and Ballsgrove area of Drogheda last Tuesday morning at around half ten uh, who might have some information for them. If the guards wanted to get that information, wouldn't they come on and appeal for it? 
Well, I would have liked to think that they would have come on to appeal for it, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, I mean, they may be doing their own inquiries privately in, in the in the areas, but I mean, certainly coming on and making a public appeal for information mm. in relation to uh, this. Somebody could have been driving by with dash cam and all that stuff that you normally... I mean, it's mm. unbelievable. Mm. They, they don't want to appeal for this, or they have... I mean, not only did they not come forward making an appeal, they rejected the offer of coming on and making an appeal. Well, I mean, that's that's a guard of policing issue. I mean, they may have reasons for doing that. Uh, I mean, at the JPC meeting later last week, uh, the superintendent, chief superintendent was saying <clears throat> that, you know, we need to be careful as, say, politicians and as journalists in relation to what we report in, in newspapers <clears throat> because of the fact that the people who are actively engaged in these feuds are reading newspapers and picking up pieces of information. <clears throat> okay, and they, uh, and they might have heard on the radio that there's only one guard of Karen Drada. Is that what he was worried about? Well, uh, and in fairness know, to him, instead he, of trying to get a second one, yeah, in fairness to him, he is worried about that. Yeah. I think he is he is actively trying. But to... But is he to, worried that the gangsters are hearing this, no, or is he looking for information about what happened? I, I think, from a policing point of view, and again, I'm not a, 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 mm. a guard, but from a policing point of view, they have got a strategy, and uh, they are working with limited resources to implement that strategy. Mm. And I think. There has to be political will from above, and we spoke about this before, uh, to to address the the lack of resources in the area. And I, I bow to their wisdom, but I, I honestly just don't understand it. Yeah. I don't understand how a serious crime like that could play, take place in the town mm. uh, uh, in broad daylight, uh, and there's no appeal for information. Mm. Yeah, well, as I say, I mean, I think they're actively working in the community itself. And you're right with what you said. Mm. There are probably loads of people who actually know uh, or have some information in relation to this. And I would suspect uh, that the guards are actively involved in trying to get that, extract that information. But one of the areas in which we are failing because of lack of resources is community policing. If we had an effective, an effective community policing unit, well-resourced, we would be in those areas on a regular basis, making connections with people. And the information would be channeled back through that pipeline. Mm. Now, you can't do that with five guards on a shift. You just can't do it. You can't have an effective community policing unit, despite the will and the desire to do so. It can't be done. Mm. And well, that's one of the areas well, that are really... probably seven guards uh, working in Drogheda... Uh, in the course of one shift and two of them are up in the hospital. Yeah, sometimes there's only five. Mm. Uh, including uh, the two in the hospital. Uh, my understanding is including the two in the hospital. Oh, I'd have thought uh, they'd have been out from outside that low, of the area. With yeah. that low in, in, yeah, yeah, in, relation yeah, yeah. To, uh, in relation to numbers. And, and like the two guards in the, in the hospital are really pulling a lot of resources out of the, uh, the budget for policing in the town. Mm. That's the reality of, uh, of life at the minute. And they're from Drogheda Station, are they? Well, my understanding is that they are, yeah. My God, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very surprised at that. Yeah, no, I could be yeah. wrong, but that's mm, my understanding. Mm, and yeah, I mean, yeah, my yeah. understanding is that it's causing a significant amount of money to, yeah. for, to position yeah. and them And it's there. a 24-7, it's not two guards, it's uh, far more than that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it has so, to be uh, at least three a day, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Mm, so mm, the, the problem that we're facing in the town, and uh, look, I'm probably like you and a lot of other mm, people, we're getting a bit fed up talking the same thing, mm, keep going mm, on about the same issue of resources over and over again. Yeah. Uh, but something has to give. And I mean, like, what is given in communities is people are suffering. And in particular, women are suffering and children are suffering because mm. of this feud. They're suffering because of the fact that uh, men in particular are making decisions about to carry on, carry on in a feud situation. And the people in those families are suffering themselves. And then the wider community is suffering. People going to schools, people in workplaces. And we are not able to effectively combat what's going on in Drogheda at the minute. All right. We'll ask people to give information to the Gardaí if they have information because uh, the Gardaí are overstretched and I'm sure that they could do with the public assistance. If I could just say that we are launching the Pierce Park Residence uh, Neighbourhood Watch Scheme tonight and this is an area in which 
we could act- actively help guards in the community where a community response can actually stand up and say, listen, we're going to make our community a better place. So it appealed for people to come to that meeting at half past seven in Crushwood Avenue tonight. Labour Party Councillor Pio Smith, thank you indeed. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie McGuire joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Welcome back, Maggie. Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm great, yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm always great, Are you busy? Yeah. Are you busy? Because yeah, yeah. we have been, myself yeah, and Ross, yeah, been taking yeah. lots of calls and comments from people to the programme all morning. So um, I'll probably just get straight through it. Yeah, please do. <laughs> um, we had Eric from Meath um, in touch with us this morning. He was speaking with Ross and he was just saying that he thinks that given that Theresa May has failed for the second time um, to convince the UK Parliament um, of her proposals, that he believes that Brexit will never actually go through. He, he is predicting that the deadline will be pushed back and pushed back again and again. Again, there'll mm. be a few more months of wasting everybody's time in Europe and then finally the UK will come to their senses. All right, well, he must have some confidence in Theresa May because Mrs May has been saying uh, that that could be the upshot of all of this, uh, that there will be no Brexit and uh, that the UK will remain in Europe indefinitely. I guess we'll just have to watch this mm. space and if Eric is proven right, maybe we should get him in here to co-host <laughs> yeah. the show because he knows something we don't. Or take over, yeah. That's it, exactly. Mm. And um, Regina was also in contact. She is, again, saying she'll wonder if, uh, she's wondering if we'll ever see the UK leave the European Union. The deadline at the end of this month is just a, a line drawn in the sand. It can easily be pushed back. She thinks that given the UK have voted to leave the EU that then they should leave basically. No mm. more delays, no more special treatment. They rejected our deals and our effort so we should just hoof them out is what she says on our own terms because they can't seem to agree anything among themselves. Well, careful what you wish for. Mm, this is it mm. exactly. Mm. And moving on to St Patrick's Day we had Charlie um, from Navin in contact with us. He was saying he's a little bit surprised to see that Leo Varadkar is heading over to um, America once again this year. He wonders if, if there's any use in sending over Artisha when we have homegrown heroes like Conor McGregor and he said he's saying that very much with his tongue in his cheek representing our country over there. He said given that we have so many Irish people over there already is there any need for the Taoiseach um, to, make that, uh, to, to make that trip as well? Surely he'd be better served staying at home. Alright, well maybe it'll result in interest in Ireland and what we have to offer uh, to business and to tourism and so on. So I think a lot of people would argue the point and say yes there's a, a lot of point to it. Hold that thought though for okay. uh, a moment Maggie because we're going to the Carrickdale Hotel where a uh, conference is uh, taking place on Brexit. It's being organised by Newry Chamber and the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Uh, the keynote address was given earlier this morning by Helen McEntee Minister for European Affairs. Marie Kearns is there for us and she's been getting the reaction of some of uh, the people who have been attending. We'll hear first uh, from from Thomas McAvoy of the Loud Enterprise Office. It creates a lot of uncertainty for businesses. Uh, we would have been hoping that an agreement would have been reached by now. And we're now at a stage where they're 16 days out from uh, a potential uh, uh, dropout from, from the EU. And it creates all sorts of uncertainty. We really don't know what's going to happen. And, and it's the politicians in the House of Commons that have to uh, sort it out. Uh, and that will create a degree of certainty then, at least for Irish business. All right, but no sign of the politicians in Westminster sorting things out, as I'm sure Thomas is too much aware of. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. At this stage, Rose Tierney of Tierney Tax Consultants in Monaghan has also been speaking to Marie following on from the vote last night. I suppose the vote uh, being defeated wasn't really a surprise. That was sort of expected at this stage. That There wasn't that much change made to the um, the overall deal, so it was sort of expected that the vote would be defeated. In relation to the announcement about the tariffs, I suppose it, it's not a permanent thing. It's a 12-month um, um, tariff-free for over 80% of goods moving from south to north across the Irish land border, um, but not to across the sea to the uh, to the United Kingdom from the Republic of Ireland, so. Um, it's a little bit surprising, but at the same time, it's, little, it's not really surprising at the end of the day. It's just sort of a cop-out for 12 months, so they can try and get the, the ducks in a row in relation to how we we'll go forward. Well, no doubt uh, there was as much interest there as there has been, uh, I think, almost everywhere this morning about uh, the announcement on tariffs. Uh, that's Rose Tierney's view there. Let's hear what Colm Sheehan has uh, been saying, or beg your pardon, Colm Shannon has been saying uh, to Marie Kearns. Colm is uh, the Chief Executive of uh, the Chamber of Commerce in well, it just leads to further uncertainty and uncertainty for businesses and particularly uncertainty for businesses here on the border as to what might happen. Uh, we hope tonight uh, that the no deal will be taken off the table and that will give some comfort uh, to businesses in this area. Um, but just the messages coming out of Westminster are so confusing at the moment. And we had the announcement this morning from UK Revenue in relation to the new measures regarding tariffs. Can you give me your initial reaction to that? It's an incredible announcement of of a government um, that's out of touch with the border. It's completely irrational what they're proposing and it's a threat to businesses uh, on the northern side of the border. Uh, So we don't see where the the rational economic thinking was for this decision. And Marie is on uh, the phone now from uh, the Carrickdale. Uh, Thanks uh, for taking the call from there, where there's obviously a lot of people uh, this morning, Marie. uh, Some reaction there. Is that reflective of what people have been generally saying to you this morning? Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Yes, Michael, that certainly is true. As you heard from Thomas McAvoy, from Loud Enterprise, there really is a feeling of uncertainty. And from those ordinary business people people I was speaking to this morning, that's what they are saying. They're worried about their businesses. They're worried about their livelihoods and what is around the corner. And, of course, they're also digesting that news from UK Revenue this morning about tariffs and what the implications of that will be. 
I'm trying to make sense of it, uh, I think, uh, as is uh, the case, uh, not just here or in the UK, but uh, across the world this morning. That's right, Michael. And I suppose who'd have thought when Dundalk Chamber and Newry Chamber first came together to organise this event and set the date, that it would turn out to be such a significant date the day after that vote in Westminster yesterday. And a lot of the delegates coming here today, they're they're not coming for answers because they know there are no answers, but what they're coming for is some sort of direction of where they might go with their businesses, Michael. All right. Are there many people there, Marie? It's a huge crowd here today, much bigger than I was expecting. Certainly, we're, we're putting it at the 300 or even more, Michael. The hall is absolutely full. There's not a spare seat in the house. And what they're hoping today is to get practical advice and support for border businesses, both sides of the border, on issues such as tax, customs, transport and logistics, as well as HR issues, from a panel of very hopeful, high-profile speakers, including Dr. Martina Lawless from the Economic um, um, Research Institute and also Aoife Newton from KMPG Ireland. So there's a range of about 11 or 12 speakers who hope to give that direction and advise people on these issues. Okay, no doubt the chambers both sides of uh, the border will have uh, advice for people. We heard from uh, Colm Shannon there, who's uh, chief executive of uh, the chamber in Newry. We'll be hearing from Paddy Malone uh, of Dundalk's chamber uh, shortly. uh, And we'll also be hearing from Helen McEntee, the Minister for European Affairs, in the next few minutes. She's already addressed that conference in. Uh, the Carrickdale, what did she have to say? Well, she offered uh, the government's support to the border areas. She said that there is a strong future for businesses and the Irish government is determined to provide the context for that, no matter what the outcome. She also reiterated the government's commitment to the protection of the Good Friday Agreement in all parts. She stressed the importance of cross-border trade and promised, and I'll quote, no matter what happens, the Irish government will continue to place the Good Friday the agreement and the gains of the peace process at the top of their agenda. She also was cautioning businesses not to walk blindly into a no deal and that's the reason of course that they're here today is that they can put contingency plans in place in the case of a worst case scenario. Okay, Marie, uh, we'll be hearing more from uh, the conference uh, today. I'm sure uh, you'll have a a report for us uh, tomorrow. As I say, we'll hear from uh, the Minister uh, in a couple of minutes and Paddy Malone uh, of uh, the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, But thanks uh, for that. Uh, That's Marie Kearns speaking to us uh, from that Brexit conference in the Carrickdale Hotel. Now, let's go back uh, to some more of the comments. Uh, Maggie, you've uh, some more uh, issues uh, that people were raising with you. I'm actually staying with Brexit on this occasion and Anne was in contact in relation to it. is saying that um, she doesn't think that the Brexit circus, as she she describes it, will ever end. Um, She says it feels like we've been talking about it forever and we'll continue to be talking about it forever. Uh, Theresa May obviously hasn't a clue how to manage this debacle, so she should resign and just let someone else try and sort it out. All right. Interesting thoughts and thanks to everybody who did take the time uh, to give us a a call or send us a a text message as uh, the case may be and sharing those thoughts with us. In the meanwhile, if you'd like to add to what's being said, our telephone number is 1850 Michael Reed on LMFM. The Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee, joins us. Good morning, Minister, and uh, thanks for joining us after last night's vote. Obviously, the dust settling on it now. No great surprise in uh, the outcome, uh, but no less worrying, I'm sure. 
No, I, I mean, I suppose a lot of people in getting closer to the vote, and particularly after the Attorney General, Jeffrey Cox, gave his legal advice on the work that's been done over the past few weeks and the interpretation of it, I think we all saw and we knew as, as the various different parties tonight that they wouldn't be supporting it, that it wouldn't pass. But obviously the question was, by how much would it fail and what kind of implications would that have then on the Prime Minister and other words? So, I mean, that the last time she put it to the House, it failed by about 230 votes. Last night it was 149, albeit still very high. So we now have, I suppose, tonight another set of votes and the House of Commons will be asked to vote to avoid a no deal. But as the Prime Minister herself said last night, voting to avoid a no deal does not prevent a no deal from happening. So following us tonight, which we expect will pass again, but just looking at and listening to the various different commentaries from the UK and, and the different voices who say they will support us. Tomorrow you now have a second vote or another vote which could possibly seek to extend the Article 50 process. But again, then we're asking the question, why are we extending it? What are we extending it for? If the deal has been rejected, what are people asking? Is it for another vote? Is it a people's referendum? Is it to extend it to to, to completely change what we've done? You know, so it's all very uncertain. But what we do know at home is that we can't, change what they're going to do. We can't predict how the vote will happen or what they will ask for. What we can do is try and plan and, and put our own measures in place in as much as we can. And, and obviously, as you know, mm. listening to your reports with Marie Cairns, there's still a lot, a lot of outreach happening, whether it's the event in Carrickdale this morning, whether it's the various different events taking place throughout the country this week. There's still a lot of outreach to try and get people ready engaging on it and to make sure that whatever happens, they're, they're impacted as little as possible. Uh, and what might people uh, expect this side of uh, the border if they're importing goods through Northern Ireland? Uh, will it be a situation in the event of a, a no-deal scenario that uh, goods will be imported here tariff-free? Well, I know you're referring, obviously, the the UK have published Mm. what they are proposing as a no-deal preparation in terms of tariffs, but also in terms of the border issue. In terms of tariffs, you know, I think you need to highlight that it's not just for the UK to impose or to implement in any way that they want, in the same way that we have obligations to the EU and the Single Market and the Customs Union. The UK have obligations to the World Trade Organization, and obviously they would need to work with them. So, we have to take that into account. We also have to take into account their own obligations in protecting the Good Friday Agreement and the peace process. Now, what we've heard, and again, because I was at the mm. conference, I haven't had a chance to just explore them in as much detail as I would like. What I'm understanding and hearing is that the UK essentially would say, well, we won't implement anything. We won't put any measures. We won't put any yeah. checks. We won't put any tariffs. Now, I have to go back and I said... That, this, that's going south-north, Minister, but the question is north-south. Is it possible for products to be imported tariff-free? Well, we have always said, and when we talk about no border and the fact that as a government we will not allow any introduction of a border, we're not just talking about physical infrastructure, we're talking about barriers, non-tariff barriers, and that includes um, additional costs, but it includes additional, uh, whether it's in terms of customs or related checks, but not just physical infrastructure we've spoken about. So that is what we have always said, and that is what we are continuing to work towards. Just explain that to me, Minister, because it's hugely important. Are are you expecting uh, that goods will be imported to the Republic tariff-free from Northern Ireland? Well, I'm not expecting anything at the moment because what we have are proposals in the possible outcome that you would have 
an ideal scenario. What we have always said, and this is our position on it, is that if we know, and I suppose we will know certainly tonight if, if they vote for an ordeal, uh, that that is what, the, the, what we're planning for, that we have to have conversations with the EU and the UK. And what we see from the proposals of the UK this morning is that they themselves are even saying, well, this is what we're suggesting. Uh, it goes completely against what the Prime Minister has said all along and that they can't just say, well, we won't put up anything. Mm. That we have to then very quickly and very soon on, not talking years and months, we're talking within weeks, that we would have to work with the EU and the UK to come to another arrangement that would actually be more permanent. So in itself, the proposal that they're talking about, they're talking about needing something else to replace it very quickly because it won't actually work. So, you know, again, I'm reminded, and, and it was the first thing that came to my mind when I heard this proposal, the Minister herself has said time and time again, the first time last year in the speech, but since then many times, mm. that it's simply not enough for them to say, we won't introduce anything and we won't apply anything. Will, will, an obligation to will it work for the Irish government? I mean, the UK uh, can possibly act unilaterally in the sense and not police the border on the northern side of the border. Will we police the border on the southern side of the border? Will we impose tariffs? Will we police EU safety standards? Will we make sure that duties are are paid at European rates? Will it uh, result in food and safety, uh, food safety and health, uh, animal health uh, regulations uh, being monitored and audited? So we have always said, so all of the things that you have just mentioned are integral to the single market and the customs union. They're integral to our own market their place within the rest of the European Union and indeed the rest of the world because the world and those who have trade agreements with the EU are looking at this and saying, well, we need to protect the integrity of both of those. But what we are also saying and what we have full support from all of our colleagues on is that we can't reintroduce, and again, it's not just physical infrastructure, but checks on the island of Ireland between the north and the south. And we have been consistent the whole way throughout this. What we are saying and what we are you know, the whole reason that we've had negotiations for so long is to try and avoid mm. even getting to that point is that it becomes much more difficult to do all of that. Well, how how do you do it, Minister? How do, how do you do it? I mean, we're not leaving the European Union, are we? Well, if we look at what the UK have proposed, and again, you'll forgive me because I haven't been able to look at it in great detail, but what they are proposing is essentially a skeleton or a, a, a basic framework of what is already in the withdrawal agreement, what's already in the Irish protocol. And what they're suggesting is that this would only be temporary, that they would have to Up find to 12 months. a more mm. permanent mm. measure. Well, I, I think if you, you know, I think what we'll see probably uh, as the day goes on, as the, the, the hours go on, that this would not be something as temporary as a year, that it would have mm. to be much addressed much quicker than that. So they're talking about having... But will it be a, a reciprocal arrangement? I mean, can it? Is it possible if they crash out of the European Union? They're saying, you can bring whatever you want over our border or to our side of the border, but we are not in a position to make statements of that sort because there are EU regulations that are, will be imposed and it will be the obligation of the Irish government to police the border as a European frontier, will it not? Well, in the same way that I think they're not in a position to say unilaterally they can impose or not impose X, Y or Z in terms of tariffs or otherwise, and they're not in that position, and we have to be clear on that, they would defect from EU rules to World Trade Organization rules, and they have to take that into account. They can't just discard that. But in the same way, I don't think it's possible for me, you know, in talking to you, and I mean that with the greatest respect, in that the negotiations 
which has to take place between the UK and Europe. Ireland, obviously, engaging with Europe on that. But we would have to be able to come together in the same way that the UK are currently suggesting we would anyway in the event of a no-deal. Everything that they're talking about in a no-deal scenario points to the fact that they would want to then come back very quickly and actually arrange a deal and have something more permanent in place. So, I, you know, I think the timing of this we need to look at as well. Obviously, we've just seen a vote which was not passed last night. We now have the possibility of a vote against a no-deal scenario and we still, as of yet, almost three years from the deal, do not know what it is that the UK wants. So until they come together, until the Prime Minister and I think the leader of the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn, come together with all of the other parties to have a unified voice, we're in a very difficult position. But either way, what's still very clear is even in a no-deal scenario, the UK would very quickly seek to have a more permanent which is essentially a deal in place with the EU. So I think we need to obviously see what happens today. We need to examine, and, and again, forgive me that I haven't been able to, to in great detail, but we need to examine what they have presented. We need to take it for the fact that it is just a proposal, that it is a unilateral mm. proposal, it doesn't take into account the other obligations. But it is extremely worrying. You know, what I've seen so far is they're talking about tariffs on beef, on pork, on poultry, mm. on certain types of fish, on fertilisers. I mean, all of this is screaming agriculture. We saw Joe Healy of the IFA come out this morning and say this would be a disaster, and he's mm. right. Oh, sure, it's daft. I mean, you know, they're going to put tariffs on beef traveling over to mainland Britain, if you like. So nobody's going to use that route. They'll go over the border and then across to Britain. It's completely daft, but it's a way of saying to Ireland and to the European Union, we don't need a backstop. We we can trade freely anyway. Well, again, I don't think they're saying that because in the same sentence, while they're saying, well, we'll do this, and again, it mirrors so much of what we've agreed in the Irish backstep, they're saying in the same breath, this would only be temporary. We would have to then sit down with the EU and Ireland, of course, as part of that and negotiate something very quickly in a more permanent structure. So, you know, even with these no-deal preparations, mm. they're very clear and, and I don't think anybody, bar uh, some of the Brexiteers that we heard who were advocating for no-deal at the same time in the same breath, they're talking about making sure there's little impact on their constituents, on their industry and trade. Tariff impact on us, absolutely, mm. and, and they would be devastated, but they will also impact on their own industries and their own sectors, and it would be a lose-lose scenario. But, Minister, if it was a, a temporary situation for up to 12 months, would it not negate the need for a backstop if a future trading relationship was negotiated in the interim? Well, I mean, we, we have always said that we needed a period of time of transition to be able to negotiate as what they're proposing as it currently stands. And again, to go back to the Prime Minister's words herself, they are the ones using the single market and the customs union, and it is not okay and acceptable for them to simply say we won't impose anything. So, you know, I would again ask and question the timing of this. I would question the fact that in the same breath they're saying we'd have to engage immediately to try and put something more permanent in place. That's what we're saying now. That is what we are asking them to do. And that is what we are trying to prevent even getting to that stage because it's, you know, the businesses that we remember that you heard from Marie in terms of the chambers and the people mm-hmm. who were there, yeah. you know, they're not looking for a crystal ball. We're not trying to predict the outcome of what they do know is that if we have a no deal, it would be absolutely detrimental and, and we want to avoid that. Okay, Minister, thank you indeed for taking the call this morning. Much appreciated. That's uh, Fine Gael TD and me, the East Helen McEntee, who's the Minister for European Affairs. 
Back to the Carrickdale, uh, where, as you've already been hearing, uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk with Newry Chamber of Commerce are hosting a Brexit conference. Paddy Malone is a spokesperson, PRO for Dundalk Chamber of Commerce, and he's on the line. Paddy, good morning, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Marie was telling us you have a, a very busy conference there. You've already heard from Minister McEntee. Uh, the Minister uh, speaking to us here a, a moment ago, and it seems as though Helen McEntee is, like everybody else, trying to get her head around what the British are proposing this morning in terms of tariffs. Don't things change very quickly, Michael? It's, it's very hard now to keep up to date with everything that's going on. Um, so, you know, there's some movement, but it's the practicalities of it. Like, I mean, you know, HMRC said this is a temporary measure. In other words, this isn't going to work long term. It's a, it's a plaster to fix a, a leg break and it isn't going to do the job. Mm. So we just don't, you know, we just, I mean, the idea of being able to move goods from Dundalk to Newry without any problem, yep. and then from Newry to the UK, or to Britain, would be no problem. But yep. you can't do it from Holyhead. Do you think they'll understand that? Uh, do you think they'll understand that in Berlin or in uh, Paris? Uh, because it would seem politically astute to me. Because what they're saying is, we can do this. I don't. I think everybody in Berlin is going to look at this and say. You know, the British never thought through what they were talking about. They had no end game. The ERG and mm. the Brexiteers had no understanding of the complexities that they were raising. It was a simple message. You know, the 350 million being saved on the red bus every week for the NHS. Simplistic messages which hadn't been thought through. No contact with, 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 with business. I mean, all you have to do is... They might say the that. They might, they might also say this is a temporary backstop, if you like, uh, which is a contradiction in terms, in reality, but they might see it that way. They might see, well, look, you can have a tariff-free trade and the freedom of movement uh, and uh, pushing aside regulations for, let's say, 12 months. In the meanwhile, we'll uh, come together and make a deal. Yeah, but it's it's not going to work. I mean, we we are we are part of an EU twenty seven, and we will have to have customs regulations and everything else. The idea that Britain can start importing stuff from America or from everywhere, or from from Argentina or anywhere else, and can bring in wrong beef and wrong wrong chickens into Dover or into any of the ports in the UK, and then that they will have free access into mm. into, into us, we can't be used as a Trojan horse or a back door. It's just simply not a practical proposition. Why not um, for 12 months? Yeah, well, I know there's a, there's a lot of people in South Amar that were unemployed for a while. They'll be mm. quite happy about a 12-month situation anyway, you know. And I don't want to be flippant about it, Michael. Yeah, and don't get, me wrong, don't get me wrong, Paddy, I'm not saying it's daft, but that seems to be the argument that they're making. It, it is the argument they're making, but they have no comprehension of of the situation, and in fact, was listening to one of the speakers today who was talking about um, when he was trying to explain it to the minister, uh, and it was Seamus Seamus Leahy, uh, Leahy, and she, he was explaining a very silly story about uh, going to Derry from Donegal to buy a, a bike for his thirteenth birthday, and his father got him to uh, test ride it uh, two hundred yards from the border when he was going back across to Donegal, and then picked him up two hundred yards to the far side. And everyone laughed in the audience. And he told me that he said that he told that story to to the Prime Minister May, and she got the joke. But it's the reality, and this is the problem. They have no comprehension of what we're struggling with and what we're dealing with. And you know, business north and south. We have we have over three hundred and fifty people mm. here today. They're showing they're here because they're concerned. They're worried. Um, this temporary arrangement 
At best, it's a sticking plaster from the northern side. It's not a workable long-term solution. Mm. And the thing that business is screaming out for over and over again is, we, we don't want platitudes. We want to know what are we going to do. How I concerned mean, are they, or uh, more accurately, Pod, uh, who, how soon do they think their fears will be realised? Do people think that the 29th is a, a realistic date now, or that there I, will I think, be an extension? No, I, I think people are thinking that there will be an extension to June. But I think what's now happening is that people, and I know I'm, I'm as, a, as an accountant, I deal with this on a daily basis. I've been saying to clients, you need to start reading. And the, the, the government have excellent websites. The Enterprise Ireland has an excellent website. I know Heather McEntee made reference to the uh, Department of Foreign Affairs website. And Thomas McAvoy in the Loud Leo, and can I just mention that office there in, in, in Dundalk? Magnificent in, information for everybody in County Loudon. Joe English is doing the same job in County Mead. Those are the places that we need to be going, tapping into Intertrade. Now, I mean, I'm working with Intertrade and with Leo uh, in Loud to try and help my clients and help others to recognize the problems. And what I've been finding is that there was a slow uptake up until relatively recently. But I think the realization is now coming on business that these are as mad as we thought they were. Mm. And, you know, we've got to do something about it. Okay, well, whether... whether... We're going back back to pre-1993, and I'm looking here at a young fella here, who wasn't born in 1993, oh, and he's sure looking enough. at me and yeah. saying, what the hell? You know, I'm describing truckloads being queued up on the Dowdles Hill Road and uh, into Uri coming mm. up the hill. I know. If Brexit has done nothing else, it's made a lot of us realise that we're getting old because there's so many grown-up people who don't remember uh, when we had borders on this island. They're just far too young. Uh, But whether it's the 29th of March, whether it's June or whether it's 21 months from now, what questions have people got? People want to know what the customs regime is going to be like. What documentation are they going to have to complete? How long is it going to take them to clear the border? What supports are available? I mean, if they're looking at how close do they have to look at the supply chain or the customer chain? In particular, I'm finding with clients of mine, mm. they'll say to me, I don't have a problem, Paddy. And I'm saying, but are you buying from so-and-so? And isn't they, aren't they getting it from the UK? And then the penny drops. Oh, God. You know, I can look back one supplier and I don't have a problem. But if I look back more than one supplier, of course, these products were made in the UK. So I have a problem or if I'm selling into the UK, Mm. I have a problem. So it's the realisation over time that, you know, I mean, one of the points that uh, Leahy made was there's a huge intermediate supply chain that builds up across the border. And we're talking about milk and other products moving back and forward across the border maybe three or four times. I mean, milk, you know, made in Armagh by the cows that may well have been in in a field in Louth at one stage, but say it's made in Armagh. It's then being picked up by Lakelands area, one of the others from the south. It's processed in the south. It's going back to the north for consumption, or it's even going back again for, 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 ba- for Bailey's Irish Cream or whatever the hell it is. You know, it's, that's the problem. Um, people are now beginning to realise that it's not just a matter of looking at their next customer or the one supplier. They've now got to look two, three steps further back and see where else is the problem. Mm. And, and, and the realisation... Oh God, I do have a problem, and and it's that that's scaring. And I mean, the guy was one of the one of the speakers was saying that uh, Leamy from from the Road Hoarders uh, Association, and he was making the point that there are four thousand potential crossings on food products every day across the border, and each one is going to take ten minutes to clear. It doesn't take a genius to work out. Neither the north and the south have the manpower or the resources put in place or trained up for doing anything like that. Mm. So. 
you know, the 29th of March, yeah, I think it could be kicked down. No, the but I mean, I, 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 I'm sure you're old enough to remember when a lot of those points were closed. Uh, and that's the only way Absolutely. of that's the only way of policing the border. You're going to have to close roads. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, know, otherwise, uh, otherwise, it, it's as porous as uh, a colander. Yeah, well, I mean, look, you make close roads to forty footers, uh, and let's face it, they're not using forty footers. Yeah, and, the and then you and then you create bottlenecks. But then you create bottlenecks. Yeah. But also, you create a situation of a, a, a shadow economy, and that's a polite way of putting it, smuggling. Of course. Uh, yeah. all, all along the border, all along the other points. Um, uncontrollable, um, bringing in criminal elements into the region, which we do not want. Mm. You know, I mean, this area has fought long and hard to, to, to have a clean image and, and, and to, to have a, a situation where we're inviting people into the region. Well, as we people have become aware recently as well, you also have to police the points uh, that are open uh, and that could result uh, in all sorts of problems and uh, the return of uh, the troubles, worst case scenario. But these are the questions uh, that people are facing into and the type of questions that they're asking coming to your conference at the Carrickdale this morning. As Marie and, said, and, there's a, a panel of experts there uh, hoping to give answers, but a lot of these questions are impossible to answer, aren't they, Paddy? Yes, and and part of the problem that we're get we're finding is that we're even teasing out a problem. We, you may raise three or four other ones, and that you're identifying exactly what the problems are. But at least businesses, and this is the point that the chambers are trying to do, make them as informed as they possibly can be, and if necessary, pass that information on to the politicians and whatever else. And hopefully some of the ERG and some of the lunatics on that, Monster Raping Lunatic Party or UK Independence Party or any of the others, would at least start to listen to the practical problems that have been created. And and these problems, although we are the cold face of it and we're facing it between, you know, Louth and and, and Armagh, Mm. um, let's face it, British businesses are going to face the same problem. I mean, I watched on the night of of the Brexit vote, I think the first constituency declared was Sunderland. And it voted for Brexit. I mean, there isn't a single person in Sunderland that doesn't realise now that they've just given the kiss of death to their plant in this in Sunderland. And you know, it may not it may not hit this generation of product. Mm. But the next generation are not going to be of Nissan's aren't going to be built in Sunderland. They're going to be built elsewhere. By the way, well, is there? Uh, I'm sorry to cut across you. Is there anybody there uh, who's uh, suggesting that there's a, a false sense of security this morning? Because there's the very remote prospect. Everybody is saying it, it's impossible, but there's a very remote prospect that MPs will vote this evening for leaving without a, a deal. And the Prime Minister said yesterday, if that's the case, they'll just leave on the 29th. No, I don't think anyone's expecting that particular vote. I, I, I think people, I, I think there's enough realisation in, in, in the UK, there's enough scale now in them to at least realise that it's not going to be that simple. Uh, and let's face it, you know, they, they can argue that 70 million voted one way mm. with you know, sixteen million eight hundred thousand voted the other way. It was so close to call that we all know. Do it two days later, margin of error. It could shift the other way. Um, so I think there's a realization that I think there's an expectation here that, that, that unanimously that there will be an application, or that the vote will tonight will, will will kick out no deal. I think that's accepted. No, let's hope the so. Problem, <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah, yeah. But the problem the problem we have is that we're still unsure where we are, and temporary arrangements are not of any use to business that's trying to plan long-term. Mm. I mean, being honest with you, I'm seeing situations where clients of mine um, have had bank clearance. Sometimes it's taken a bloody big effort to get the bank to say, yes, we lend you the money. And now we're on hold. Um, and, and that's a scary situation. We, we, you know, I can remember 
many years ago being at a lecture John Teeling gave and he said the only thing we have to we're going to talk ourselves into a recession and the, the famous quote from Roosevelt back in the 30s the only thing we have to fear is fear itself we could talk ourselves into a recession in this region if there is a significant number of people who defer expenditure because if a client of mine postpones building a factory there's a, a couple of guys who've tended for that job one thinks he has it and now he's going to find he's not going to have it. And he's going to be laying people off in six months' time. And that's going to have further repercussions. And that's the problem with this. If something happens that's negative, it has a knock-on impact in the same way over and over again. Um, I mean, we've talked in, in the past many, many times about the, the positive impact that Shop Local has from the point of view of pounds saved is actually spent again and again and again. The same thing will happen in reverse if we're not very careful. And that's the worry the business has here. So what they're looking for is as much clarity as we can give them. Um, we have the right speakers here to do that. Uh, and then tell them where to go and get further information. And, and that's as much as we can okay. hope to do within the chamber. All right, Paddy, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, I'm sure you have a, a, a very busy uh, morning ahead. Uh, indeed, uh, I'm sure uh, that uh, we'll be hearing more from uh, the conference uh, on the programme uh, tomorrow from the Carrickdale. And thank you indeed uh, for joining Robert, us from Michael. there this morning. That's the PRO for Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce, Paddy Malone. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Ombudsman Peter Tindall is outlining his office's experience of dealing with complaints from refugees and asylum seekers who are living in direct provision centres and uh, the complaints uh, that they received last year. Peter Tindall joins us now and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Before you uh, tell us about some of uh, the 148 complaints that you did deal with, uh, perhaps you'd explain to our listeners what a direct provision centre is? Yes, direct provision centres are accommodation that's provided for people who come to Ireland either um, as asylum seekers or otherwise looking to remain here. And in addition, um, there are so-called Iraq centres for people who come here as refugees um, who are being resettled as part of Ireland's commitment to resettle refugees. So when people have complaints about where they're living, the conditions that they're living in, or how they're being treated when they're living in these centres, they can take a complaint to the Ombudsman, is it? They can indeed, and in respect to children, they can go to the Ombudsman for children. But we realised when we took on responsibility for dealing with complaints that there aren't any other independent bodies going into the centres on a regular basis, and that for many people the who are new to the country might not have English as a first language and so on. Um, even knowing about the Ombudsman would be unlikely, and um, being able to complain would be difficult. So we actually go and visit the centres, and that's... Mm-hmm. Um, that's been good for us because a lot of the time we're able to deal with um, we're able to deal with issues on the spot rather than having to take a formal complaint. Is that why there are so few complaints? Am I right in thinking that it is very few complaints? 148 complaints, uh, but there's over 6,000 people living in these centres. There are yes, and I think a lot of the issues, as I say, we can resolve on the spot, and and we get complaints as well, not just about the centres themselves. But people might may complain to us about access to the health service, for instance, or other issues to do with the use of public services. So we're able to deal with all of those matters. I mean, our general view of the centres, um, looking at the ones I myself visited, Mosny, for instance, um, as part of this programme, um, our general view is that the, um, the centres are 
fine for short-term purposes and that the big problems arise because people are having to spend lengthy times in them. And people are spending time in them even when they've been given permission to remain in Ireland so that there are some 700 people at the moment in centres who do have permission to remain in Ireland and who could move on if they're able to find somewhere to live. And there isn't the capacity for the amount of people who are in this system of direct provision. There's more people than there is capacity, apparently. Yes, that's exactly right. I think um, demand has been rising. People are not able to move on as they would want to once they have been given permission to remain in Ireland. So the consequence of that is that um, there are more people in the system at the moment than the system can technically accommodate. So the um, Department of Justice, the resettlement agency, has taken to using so-called emergency accommodation, where it's getting hotel accommodation, bed and breakfast accommodation at short notice. And the problem of that, of course, is that um, people are not, don't have access to cooking facilities. They don't have the kind of space and privacy that you would hope they would have. But the pressure on the system is growing all the time. Mm, and they do accommodate them in these direct provision centres like Mosnia, as you say. It's bed and board, uh, essentially, and a small allowance of a, a, around €20 Euro a, a week. But the problem a, a lot of people face, it, it would appear, is that when they are granted asylum or refugee status, that given the other problems that there are, are in this country, uh, they're not in a position to move out. They can't afford to move out. Yes, it's very difficult. I mean, I think the same problems are affecting them as they're affecting people generally. There is a desperate shortage of affordable housing, both public housing and affordable rented housing in the private sector. And that's really causing difficulties for people. And of course, they want to move to places where they have some prospect of getting jobs, um, where there, you know, a com- there may mm. be people um, from their own background that they can, you know, they may have family or friends somewhere. But but they're finding great difficulty in getting out. Now, for the refugees who are accepted here as part of the resettlement programs, for instance, we took a group of refugees from Syria into Ireland. Those people are helped to find housing. It takes longer than you would expect, but there's no actual formal resettlement program for people in the direct provision centres. There's a lot of um, voluntary bodies helping to help people find accommodation But clearly, um, we've got a a desperate shortage, as you know, of affordable housing in Ireland, and that's really having an impact on the system. Uh, And as you say, uh, asylum seekers hope to be accommodated somewhere that they'll be able to find work, uh, which is a relatively new thing. Uh, It it is only uh, in recent times uh, that asylum seekers have been allowed to work, uh, and this is one of uh, the more positive uh, developments uh, that you've encountered. Yes, I mean, when I was first visiting the centres, when my staff have been visiting the centres regularly, one of the things you'd find is that often people are people who are used to working, they have um, their skill, they have um, experience, and they find it very difficult um, not being able to get out and earn a living. So in the last year, um, more than 1,800 people were granted permission to work as a result of changes in the system brought about by a um, court case. And that's really made a difference. I think people feel a lot more positive about themselves, as you can imagine, mm. if you can get out and work and earn some money. Because, as you were saying, the allowance is a very small amount of money and it gives people very little autonomy. So that's been a help. I think the other change we've seen 
over the years that we've been doing this and uh, notable in the last year is access to cooking facilities so people are able to cater for themselves. I mean, in the past you had a situation where there were children growing up never having seen their parents cook, which is not really very satisfactory. So so the fact that there is more self-catering um, capacity and also the fact that people can work has made a change to the uh, mood of the centre. Uh, and when people are working, uh, there will be a situation where they'll be asked to contribute to the cost of their accommodation. Yes, and we're going to keep a close eye on that. We suspect that that may be a source of complaints in the coming year because um, clearly it'll need to be affordable to them on the level of income that they're receiving. And we've, to be absolutely fair to the um, Department of Justice and um, its agencies, um, they have been responsive to us. This has not been a situation where we've been making recommendations and they've not been um, dealing with them. They have been listening to what we've had to say and they have been making changes as we go along. And the same we've found is the case with the providers of the direct provision. So, so by and large, people have brought issues to us and a lot of them have been resolved. The issues we can't really resolve relate to the fact that people, for instance, would like to transfer between the centres to be nearer to family or to health care or to education, but the centres they want to move to are already full, so it's not possible to accommodate that. I mean, the issues, the, the real issues, the difficult issues relate to the lack of affordable housing and the lack of move on. Okay, and that issue in itself probably comes back to your biggest gripe, which is that people spend too long in this system. Yes, they do. I mean, the the issue of how long it takes people to get a decision on their application is one that's been featured in the past and is not actually within my jurisdiction. But the reality is this is accommodation that's perfectly suitable for accommodating somebody when they come to the country for a short period until they they get settled into something more permanent because of the delays in people finding housing, because of the delays in making decisions on people's um, on people's applications and um, people are spending far too long and you can imagine it yourself um, yeah. when you're on holidays a hotel is fine when you're younger going to a youth hostel is fine but it really isn't acceptable that um, people should be spending lengthy periods of time families should be left spending lengthy periods of okay. time in that kind of accommodation okay thank you very much indeed ombudsman peter tyndall brings our program to its conclusion our time has run out god willing we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9 a.m on lmfm good morning bye-bye the michael reed show podcast tune in weekdays from nine on lmfm to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.